Travis, what was the name of the um, song, uh, the Aaronic Blessing? Is that just called Aaronic Blessing? Or? Blessing? Blessing. Yeah. Man, that song really got to me today. Um, I don't know about you, but that really hit home. Blessing, receiving blessing, and then blessing passed on generation to generation. And uh, it's not really related to the teaching today, but it is um, related to our, our tour portion and, um, and to um, tour club. If you've read through your tour club materials, um, that the, the, um, each generation um, of Abraham's descendants, they weren't pursuing physical blessing and well-being. They were pursuing that spiritual blessing. And that's what our, our hope is for our children, that they would pursue God's blessing in their lives, not chase after the world, not chase after the, the thing that glitters and the gold, but they would chase after His blessing in their lives. Amen. <clears throat> Today's uh, message is called The Plowman and the Reaper. It's a continuation of our series that we've been doing. In, um, it's called In the Beginning. And we are, had just been going through each Torah portion in the book of Genesis. And, um, you know, the problem with writing sermons isn't finding enough material. It's knowing when to stop, right? Because uh, <clears throat> I could keep you guys here all day. Um, off topic, but I want to welcome our visitors today. Good to have you guys with us today. Very good to have you. I'm sorry I haven't got to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Just don't let me breathe on you. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to start uh, this with a passage from Amos, if you'll pull that up for me here. Amos chapter 13, uh, 9, verse 13 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. So I want to draw your attention to this, this particular phrase, and when the plowman, the days are coming, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Okay? So this is a prophecy from Amos. There's a midrash that connects this passage um, from Amos to the opening of our current Torah portion. And before I let you know how, let me do a quick recap of the Torah portion so we can understand the context of what's going on here. First, the name of our current Torah portion is Vayigash. And if you can pull up that slide... Um, and it comes from the opening phrase, the, the one, the, there you go. The opening phrase, Vayigash elav Yehuda, okay? Which means, and Judah drew near. So have you, as you can see in the transliterated there, Vayigash is the very first word, and it means, and he drew near, okay? So Judah is drawing near. So wh- why is he drawing near? Who is he drawing near to? All that kind of stuff. So if, if you're not keeping up with the, the weekly tour portions, let me give you the context. Over uh, roughly, basically last week's tour portion, I'll just start there. Judah, uh, Joseph, excuse me, was playing a game of cat and mouse with his brothers, right? Okay, he had this whole ruse that he was doing, and he was acting in the place of Pharaoh, which he had permission to do. He had the authority to do. And his brothers had come to him to buy grain. His father, their father had sent them down uh, from Canaan to Egypt to buy grain. And on their last trip home, Joseph uh, had his men hide a goblet inside Benjamin's pack and then overtakes them 
and accuses them of stealing. Okay, you know all of this. Uh, all, all these guys are wondering what is going on. Uh, they're brought back to face Joseph with their hearts in their throats, and up to this point, we're really not sure what Joseph's end game is. Uh, however, we find out that his ultimate goal uh, this week, when his brothers appear before him, and Judah begins to plead with him on behalf of Pharaoh. So, let's talk about this week's Torah portion. Judah, at the beginning, he drew near to Joseph. He begins to beg Joseph, Hey, we cannot do this. We cannot leave Benjamin with you because his soul is bound up with the soul of his father. He had two sons by his wife that he loved, and one is gone, and the other cannot be taken from him. Otherwise, he is going to die. That's all there is to it. He's going to die. And this, once Joseph and, and uh, uh, Ju- uh, excuse me, Judah also says, basically, okay, if you have to take somebody, take me. I'm willing to be a prisoner in my brother's place. And so once Joseph hears this, what happens? His heart breaks. He begins to weep. He sends everybody out, and he reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I need Yosef. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But what changed there? Something changed that he would reveal himself to his brothers and not go through with this plan. Um, what changed was he saw true repentance in his brothers, right? Judah had been the one to tell them, hey, lay off a little bit on the guy, don't kill him, but sell him into slavery. And now, instead of just saying, he's okay, let's sell him into slavery, or let's, let's get Benjamin gone too, he's saying, let's protect him. He says, matter of fact, I'm going to protect him. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure nothing happens to him. And therefore, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. There's a a wonderful reunion that takes place, and then Joseph sends them back to their father so he can come and see Joseph again before he dies. As a matter of fact, they pick pick up, and the whole gang moves to Egypt, and this actually is the beginning of what we call the Egyptian exile. Okay, so back to our passage in Amos, if you can put that up again. Behold, the days are coming when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes who sows the seed. What does this mean, especially in relationship to our Torah portion? Well, the Midrash explains this important meaning, important meeting, excuse me, between Judah and Joseph at the beginning of the portion as a foreshadowing of the events of the Olam Haba, of the world to come. This is the connection. It's this this meeting represents this passage here. Judah represents the plowman and Joseph the reaper. But how does this work? So let's first take a look at the name Judah. In Hebrew, if you can pull up that slide, there you go. In Hebrew, his name is not Judah, but Yehuda. Okay? It means praised. It comes from the passage when he is born, his mother says, and she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Yehuda. Okay? This is where he gets his name. And his name means Praise because she praised the Lord that she had a son. Um, an interesting connection here is um, that it comes, well, let me tell you where it comes from first. It comes from the word hoda'ah. 
And hoda'ah means to confess or admit. And we, I'm sorry I'm getting a little technical, but you'll find out why this is important here in a minute. Uh, hoda'ah means to confess or admit. We also get the word toda from that. Anybody know what toda means? Thank you. Good. It means thanks. Thank you. Okay. This rabbi sings a song, toda rabalacha, right? Um, thank you. And um, over the last few Torah portions, we see both the good and bad of this son, Judah. Okay? We see the Torah doesn't really sweep things under the rug. It, it tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so Ju- Judah, I'm going to have to get my glass on. I thought I could do this without it. Man, I am fuzzy today. That's right. So we see the good and bad of Judah. But even though Judah got off to a bad start, we hear, we read about his betraying his brother, sleeping with his daughter-in-law, and then threatening to have her killed. He's ultimately a person who admits his shortcomings. Judah didn't take the responsibility as the elder brother to protect Joseph initially. But now he shows true repentance and takes full responsibility for Benjamin. He realizes he's done wrong and will do anything, including being thrown into prison for the rest of his life, to make it right. This is a huge shift in the character of Judah. Shows true repentance. Through his confession of wrongdoing, he has taken the first step to change both his actions and his heart. He has begun to live up to his name. He's put the plow to the soil and begun digging up that fallow ground. He has become the plowman. And so there's a connection with Judah there. But what about Joseph? Let's take a look at his name in Hebrew. His name in Hebrew is Yosef. Okay, it means God has added. From the passage it said, And she called his name Yosef, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Okay? Um, it comes from the word asaf, if you have that slide, uh, which means to gather, collect, or add to. So in a sense, you could see jo- that Joseph, living up to his name, is the one who gathers or collects or unites. He unites his family after years of being estranged from him. He has seen both the drought and the torrential rains that held out for the hope of the harvest. This week's Haftarah reading, you guys know what the Haftarah is? Okay, it's not the half, it's not half of the Torah. Uh, it's the Haftarah. And it's, it's the corresponding section of, of the prophets that corresponds in some way to our Torah portion. And it's been designated for umpteen years. This week's reading is Ezekiel's prophecy about the two sticks becoming one. We read it in our Torah reading earlier. The two-house movement sees this as Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles who are actually long-lost Israelites from the northern tribes, being united into a new Israel. And while this is an element of truth, it is not the whole truth. Just because a Gentile is drawn to Torah doesn't mean they are a long-lost Israelite. It simply means that those who are diligently seeking truth will know it when they see it. The prophecy is about the northern and southern tribes of Israel becoming one. Okay, We don't know about how or when this will take place, 
But we do know that Yeshua ben Yosef will be the one to unite them because he is the one who unites his people like Joseph, who is his namesake. Okay, we say um, his name is uh, Yeshua ben Yosef. His name is Jesus or Yeshua, the son of Joseph. Well, we have two concepts of the Messiah in Judaism. We have, um, uh, excuse me, we have Mashiach ben Yosef and we have Mashiach ben David. In Messianic Judaism, we believe that they're fulfilled in the same person. However, most of Judaism don't necessarily see that because they see King David. Let me go back to this. Uh, Again, these two figures are Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, and Messiah, son of David. And of course, David is from what line? From Judah, right? And so you could also say he is Mashiach or Messiah, son of Judah, just like you could say he's Messiah, son of David. So Mashiach ben Yehuda, or Messiah ben son of David, is the conquering king. And Mashiach ben Yosef is the suffering servant. So you have these two figures doing two different things. And in this passage, when Judah draws near to Joseph, we see a picture of these two messiahs coming together. These two roles of Messiah coming together. We're living in a time when Israel is longing for Mashiach, but they're only looking for Mashiach bin David. You realize that? Most of Judaism only really has the concept that they don't really study Mashiach bin Yosef. They study Mashiach bin David. Okay? They're looking for that that king, that conquering king to come to set things right in the world, to set up his throne in Jerusalem, you know, deal with the pagan nations that are coming against Israel and all that kind of stuff. Um, But one day, and may it be in our lifetime, they will see Mashiach ben Yosef and realize the one they've been longing for has been right in front of them this whole time. He just looked too much like an Egyptian for them to recognize him. But one day he'll remove his Egyptian garments with tearful eyes, proclaim Ani Yeshua, and reunite his family family once again. Before I continue, I want to go over some of the lessons we have learned from this series. Okay, The series has been called In the Beginning. A rabbi has has been teaching it. I jumped in uh, one and now the second lesson here. And from the very first uh, lesson, we learn that God needs our engagement to create man in his own image. Do you remember the first lesson when he talked about, let us create God in our, I mean, excuse me, let us create man. We don't create God. Let us create man in our own image. What did Rabbi, the, the, the new sort of spin on that, the new take on that, what was the, the take on that? Is that God was talking to who? God was talking to the man himself said, let us create man in our image. In other words, you partner with me, and we will do something amazing, okay? So I'll remind you guys, this is something I wanted to say I was thinking about earlier, is that it remind you that every single person in this room, every single person online, you have a purpose to fulfill. God, and I've, I've said this many times, but God creates people for a specific purpose, for a role that they are to fulfill 
in this life and in their life. I mean, it's not like you do one thing and then you're dead, right? But it's, it's, it's you have a purpose and you need to fulfill it. Um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said it like this, birth is God saying you matter. Because you were born, you matter. And if you don't get anything else of what I'm saying today, take that with you and pack it away somewhere that you can pull it out later. In the second teaching, we learned that Noah succeeded at his primary mission, which was to save you know, the, the living creatures of the world. But he may have failed at his other missions. He had some other missions that he was supposed to do. Number three, piggybacked on that. We learned that God wanted to bring spiritual, wanted Noah to bring spiritual revival to the world, but he wasn't able to. Okay? Noah, for some reason, whatever reason, he was not able to bring this spiritual revival. But in lesson number four, we learned that God chose, chose Abraham to succeed where Noah failed and how we are to imitate him. In the fifth lesson, we learned that Abraham's success was largely due his, to his ability to envision a future reality and how we can imitate him in this area as well. And this is something I struggle with because I have, I've always struggled with being foresighted. I mean, I am in the moment, um, and you, you, know, you talk about um, tomorrow, a week, a month, a year from now, I'm like, and that's something my wife tells me what I need to do, you know? <laughs> I say, talk to my events coordinator. Uh, but, um, but God has really been dealing with me over the last few years and been trying to change that and be more forward thinking. And I think we should all really be that way. Some people are, are really forward thinking. I mean, they've got their their list and everything for 2024 already, and they're doing all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm just lucky to do it a week or two ahead of time. So I know some of you guys in here are, are really advanced thinkers as well, and praise God we have people like you because the world is a better place. Lesson number six, we learn the truth about Jacob and the importance of spiritual blessing over material blessing. And that's what I talked about earlier. When we... When we succumb to believing the lie that material blessing is the important thing, we have lost. Spiritual blessing is where it is. Lesson number seven, we learned that although God wants us to be proactive, sometimes we can jump the gun and get ahead of what he has in store for us. Number eight, we looked at Jacob's wrestling with the angel and learned that sometimes the most difficult opponent in life we face in life is not the devil, it's ourselves. I don't know about you, but that lesson hit me like a ton of bricks and just I, I had trouble holding it together when I heard that because God had just revealed that to me that morning and it was weird. God had revealed that to me for some reason during the liturgy. I was leading liturgy and... For some reason, the tour portion came to mind, and that revelation came to mind. And then Rabbi spoke on it, just lost it. Because <clears throat> sometimes we are our own worst enemy, and we need to realize that um, God don't make no junk, and He has a plan and purpose for us all, as I said earlier. And we can do the things that He has called us to do. Lesson number nine, we learn that sometimes our perspective is not always the most accurate one. 
and then assumptions have a way of backfiring. And then last week, we learned that even when life doesn't go the way we anticipate, we can make lemonade out of the lemons that we've been given if we understand that God is truly in control. I mean, think about Joseph, right? How many of us would have thrived like Joseph in his circumstances? I don't think very many of us would. I know Travis would have. <clears throat> Travis is like, bring it, baby. <laughs> He's like, bless God. So something I really appreciate about Travis. Number 11. This is this week. Here's the practical application of this week's message. Just as Israel needs both Judah, the plower, and Joseph, the reaper, we need both of these aspects in our relationship with God as well. We have to both plow and reap. What do I mean by that? Plowing involves self-introspection, self-examination. Okay, um, If you guys... Um, um, remember, we have Rebets and Kelly starting a Musar class in a few weeks. I don't remember the exact, exact start date. But Shalom Ham Network, if you're not a part of that, I, I highly encourage you to be a part of that. Okay, there, She's going to go through the book um, Everyday Holiness, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, by Alan Marinus, Marinus I believe is his name. And... Um, that book is phenomenal, but even more phenomenal is what you're going to get out of it. Because God is going to use this, I believe, to show us aspects of ourselves that we never knew. And to show us how we can become a version of ourselves that we never knew that we could become. This is, this is a, big, um, a big factor that, that did a lot of work in my life when I first read this book and I first learned about Musar and, and all that kind of stuff. And God, even though I, I haven't been disciplined to actually do the work of Musar, keeping the journal and all that kind of stuff that you really should do, um, just going over the material constantly and um, letting those thoughts wash over me has been tremendous. <clears throat> and so plowing involves ex- self-examination. We are to break up the hard soil of our lives. We must constantly be evaluating both our actions and our motivations. But we should also be reaping. What do I mean? Think about a reaper. One who reaps, what do they do? They, they gather the grain or whatever the, the produce is. They cut it from the earth. In other words, they lift the object and raise the purpose for the things they're reaching, they're reaping. They elevate them for spiritual purposes, pulling them away from their natural earthly attachment. I may not have said that well. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. As human beings, we are created with two aspects. We're created from the dust of the earth, but we also have the breath of God breathed within us, right? So we are earthlings. Uh, and, and some people have even said, you know, we are spiritual being, beings wearing this, wearing this earth suit, right? Um, and so when, when we have, you know, in our day-to-day lives, we have these battles. 
we can either follow the flesh, our earth aspect, our our dust, as they say, these this dust coursing through this these veins, or we can choose to follow our neshama, our spirit, our soul. We can choose to follow God. We can choose to follow the ways of this world, this physical uh, reality. And when a when a uh, reaper harvests. He's taking this and removing it from the influences of the earth. I guess that's really what I'm trying to get at, right? He's taking this produce and removing it from its attachment to and influences of the earth. And we should be doing the same in our own lives and helping those around us. We should be helping to turn the mundane, the, quote, earthly matters into spiritual ones. Joseph saw God's hand in every situation. How much do we see that in ours? Depends on the day, right? <laughs> Sometimes we can, we can easily see it, you know? Sometimes, man, we struggle. We struggle to see. It's like, we just want to be like, what's the guy, the little, little uh, bear or whatever he was on Hannibal Bear? Waka, 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 waka. You know, we just want to lash out and, and, and complain at every situation. But we should strive to see things as Joseph saw them as well. See the spiritual. See God's hand at work. If we can look beyond our physical situation and try to see God's work in our lives, we can not only make our lives better and easier to deal with, but also better the lives of those around us. As I said, I think it was the last time I spoke, maybe time before, sometimes we go through trials not really for our sake, but it's for other people's sake. Sometimes it's so that we can go through a horrible situation and show somebody else how to, to go through that and come out on the other side and how to keep a proper attitude, hopefully, how to bless God in the process and not succumb to um, basically you know, what happened uh, uh, that Job's wife told him, curse God and die. You know, that's not, that's not the, what we want to do. We want to be like Job, be like Joseph and so forth. We want to bless God through these difficult circumstances, see Him in every situation. Okay, at this point, you may be thinking, man, but I, I can't do this. I'll be in the plowing phase for the rest of my life. Well, I'm there with you, right? But this is the beauty of the passage that we've been talking about. The plower overtakes the reaper. It's a constant cycle. It's not one or the other. It's a constant cycle. This means that even while still plowing, while we are working on ourselves, we can be drawing others closer to our Master Yeshua and adding them to His kingdom. As a matter of fact, many times it's through the plowing we go through in our own lives, as I said just a moment ago, breaking through layer after layer of the hard soil. That's what draws other people to us, and we're able to point them to our master. It's about being real and a continual pursuit of a life that pleases the Father. I want to share one other scripture with you to tie this all in. Psalm 8510, if you can post that on the screen here. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that just beautiful and poetic, right? But steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. This is what happened when Judah drew near 
to Joseph. Judah had a change of heart. Judah had a change of actions. Judah did a 180 from what he was before. The steadfast love of Judah met the faithfulness of Joseph and the righteousness of Judah. Think about it. He admitted he was wrong. She is more righteous than I. And that, in a a sense, became his righteousness. The righteousness of Judah kissed the face of his brother who brought peace to his family. May it also be true of us as we strive to be better disciples of our Master Yeshua, walking in his ways, taking the message of repentance and his kingdom to a hurting world. May God bless you and, and equip you and empower you to do just that. Shabbat Shalom.